I've talked to a lot of adopted kids. There's the whole rejection narrative. Mm, And so you have to really train your mind that no, indeed, there was not rejection. There was love because as I've had four children, as you guys have had children, and you hold them the first time when I held my oldest daughter for the very first time, I thought, I have no idea how she did this. Welcome to the next edition of This Alabama Life. My name is Don Keith, and I'm your jovial host, and we'd like to welcome you into this program. Uh, Andrea Tice is with me, and good to see you as always. Good to be seen. We have a great guest when we talk about This Alabama Life. This uh, podcast, the design is to tell stories of people who have done remarkable things and continue to do remarkable things, who have some connection to Alabama. Uh, either live in or was born in or whatever, or moved to uh, the state of Alabama. Well, our guest today is a former Miss Alabama. There's a pretty big connection right there. It's great to welcome Amy Beth Shaver to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Great to have you. Now, you have uh, dabbled in uh, the pageants, and you've done politics. Uh, Maybe sometime during the the podcast, you'll tell us which one has the sharper elbows. (laughs) (laughs) Which one's the tougher? Politics. Uh, this is the uh, the worst open-ended question I think I've ever asked. Tell us your story. It's actually a very good question. I am from Hershey, Pennsylvania. Chocolate. Chocolate Town, USA. It flows in your veins, doesn't it? It does. I asked my mother, I said, you know, this is really not fair. Anytime I'm near chocolate, I'm drawn to it. And she said, well, that's because when the windows were open, you would chocolate would waft through the town certain days of the week when they were baking. No so kidding. So I come by it honestly. Yes, um, you there's do. always a stash in the Shaver household. Um, but we moved to Alabama when I was an infant for my father to finish school and graduate school. Um, but the other part of the story is that I'm adopted. My birth mother was 17 years old and um hid my pregnancy through her senior year of high school. Oh, my. Um, And then didn't really let anyone in her family know. Can you imagine how afraid you might have been um, back in 1972? Um, And how hard that would be. How hard. Like, her courage continues, and we talk about this because we've reconnected. Um, Her courage is astounding to me. Um, But really until a month before my birth, Mm. no one knew. And so um, she knew at the time that she was not prepared to parent, and she knew that she wanted to give life through adoption, and she knew that there was a young couple that really wanted to adopt, and that's how I came to be the daughter of Doug and Barb Dickinson, but also the daughter of my birth mom. And someday I will tell her name and her story, Um, but she's a precious woman who still lives in PA. Wow. And um, but we were here in Alabama really as an infant. And then I grew up at Briarwood, was thankful to do so. I finished college at Samford, got interested in pageants, never in a million years would have considered doing it. And then um, it happened. And the Lord used that to change my life. You mentioned I read recently the article that you put in 1819 News because you're also an editorial writer, and you were talking about the importance of parents. And I really, I just appreciate all that you write. But this really resonates as well because you mentioned a situation in 
junior high, high school, mm-hmm. um, and how important having parents to fall back on yes. for uh, strength of identity That's right. and, and unconditional love when you're thrown into a pit of wolves That's right. uh, that are, are, are out there to, t- to attack. And um, I, I think we all have that experience. Yes. So, as, so you came to your parents as an adopted child and just how much you just seem to, let's put it this way. When did you find out about your adoption and how did that play into your uh, connection with your parents and to your, your self-identity and your development? They told me from the time I came home from the hospital. Oh, wow. Uh, my mom and dad actually were on their way to a medical mission trip for the month of August to the country of um, Niger, Nigeria. I can't remember. I always have to ask them. And heard the phone ring. And the doctor called and said, hey, how would you like a baby? And they said, well, when's the baby coming? Oh, she's here. And so they had to go back. And I mean, literally, their suitcases were packed. They were ready to go. Um, But my mother resolved from the time they brought me home from the hospital to tell me that not only was I loved by God, but I was loved by them. And he saw fit to allow me to be adopted into their family. And at the same time, praising my birth mother Mm. for her courage. And so it was seamless for them. They had heard stories of people not telling about adoption, waiting until a child was 10 to 15 years old, which in my opinion is a huge mistake. So it was really kind of woven into who I was. And my brother and sister are also adopted. Same thing. Always told the truth in the beginning. My mom did a lot more counseling when we were younger to help other parents who adopted. And now it's very common but it was always a part of who I was. But it really helped to um, understand the gospel that we all are adopted into God's family. Mm. Um, that while we were dead in our sins, Christ died for us. Um, but he's called us by name. And, um, and so I really understood that. And I'm very grateful that they made that normal, acceptable, loving. And they did it in a beautiful way. Mm. Yeah, there was never a moment where you weren't thinking no. along those lines. And I yeah. really appreciate what they did with your, your birth mother yep. and bringing, looping her into your story yeah. from the beginning. I mean, they really did. And it's kind of amazing because for a long time we didn't know each other. Um, but four years ago, I woke up one day and I was like, you know what? I think I'm ready. And I had wanted to do that. Uh, or it was five years ago, our daughter had an opportunity to go, and she did, model in New York. But before she left, she wanted to know about her hair. And it's very curly. Okay. And I grew up thinking I was Italian. I'm not uh, at all. And so we did the DNA. And then from there, I thought, you know, I really, I'd really like to reach out to her. I really want to take this beyond dreaming about it to doing it. And we reconnected. And it's been amazing to see what God has done. Um, I have three, not only do I have brother and sister, but I have three other sisters. Oh, wow. That was my so question. You a know, huge family. <laughs> some people don't want to find out because right. they're not sure if, if, if the mother, the birth mother wants to That's right. reconnect. And, you know, like doing genealogy, you go back and you find out you're a bunch of horse thieves and <laughs> right. you know, throughout history or whatever. Right. So you may not want to know that necessarily, but right. it, it was a good experience for you. It was a good experience. And I knew going in, and this is what I said, because this is what I said as a speaker growing up in my 20s with high school students. 
across the country is I just wanted to tell her thank you for what you did. Mm. Um, what you did took courage. I don't need anything from you. Mm. I just want you to know I'm okay. I hope you're okay. I want you to be okay. And so I reached out over Facebook once we found out what my birth name was in 30 minutes, 30 minutes, we, my crack team of experts, that'd be my children and husband, found her. And so going in, I knew that I, I really don't know how this is going to go. But I think we both knew as we talked about it, even since then, that we were both so full. Um, doesn't mean life was good or easy or simple, right. not at all, but we were full and complete so it was time. Mm-hmm. And then the same thing, meeting and, re- and being you know, reunited with sisters, amazing. It was amazing. But I know that everybody's story is not that way. Um, we both feel like it was meant to be. The timing was perfect. God did it. And um, we rejoice over that. Do you find a lot of adoptive uh, folks, though, folks who have been adopted, uh, do want to find out yes. what happened? And they want to thank their their, their birth mother and sometimes birth parents yes. for giving them up to somebody who really wanted a child and could do better at that point rather than, you know, thanks mom for aborting me. That's never going to happen. Yeah, right, right. I do. And I think there's a couple of things that go on. The, the reality is that adoption is birthed in pain and suffering. And so it's not easy. And so you have to come to grips with this whole, I've talked to a lot of adopted kids there's the whole rejection narrative. Mm, yes. And so you have to really train your mind that no, indeed, there was not rejection. There was love because as I've had four children, as you guys have had children, and you hold them the first time when I held my oldest daughter for the very first time, I thought, I have no idea how she did this. None. And so it makes you extremely grateful. And so that giving, I have several really close friends who are adopted. And so they all began to think, well, maybe I'd like to reach out to my birth parents. Maybe I wouldn't. And Chris and I said the same thing because we did this together, my husband and I, if you're ready, do it with zero expectation. If not, don't. Because the door was closed for a reason. The Lord will let you know if it's time. And if it is, go with it. That's good advice. And you know, you experienced that as well. You just woke up and you knew it was the time. It was time. It was never time before the day I woke up. Mm-hmm. I know that you also have been very, very outspoken about uh, pro-life issues. And I'm sure that this whole thing coming from your past has been a massive impetus for this. Yeah. Um, at what point did you decide, okay, I, based off of, of my, my story, this is going to be always with me and I am always going to speak in favor of the unborn early on as a child, teenager, or when you had the pageant uh, platform? I was sitting in a college classroom, Jan term, everybody's favorite semester, right? One class, that's it. And the professor began to speak about her public speaking. And I thought, that's exactly what I wanted. My, my heart caught on fire. Ah, good This sign. is what I want to do. Mm-hmm. I want to speak. And then, literally later <laughs> that spring, found out about Miss Alabama. And it was the platform issue, speaking out on a topic near and dear to your heart became a requirement to be involved with the system. And my college roommate was very strong in pro-life, even in high school. And she was the one, along with my parents, that said, what if you told your story? And then combined that with character education, emphasizing abstinence, 
marriage and all the like. And I thought, this is it. And so that's really when the rubber began to meet the road. And that's when you went into the whole pageant. That's exact. It all happened at once. Okay. Like this last few months have happened all at once. It happened all at once. Wow. How, tell the audience how many pageants you were involved in before leading up to Miss Alabama. Uh, all, I did, start, all starting in college. Yeah, yes. starting in college. Well, senior year of high school, everybody does the junior miss because, you know, that's the major scholarship for high school girls that's been around, goodness, for 50 or 60 years. Um, with the finals being in Mobile, Alabama. So I thought it was neat. I thought at the time, because, you know, we're in communication, Diane Sawyer had been an America's Junior Miss, and I thought, if I could be Diane Sawyer, I love her. <laughs> so, you know what I'm saying? And so I thought, this is like, this is worthy. This, this is intriguing. It was for scholarship. So we did that, had a great experience. And then somebody at the Junior Miss for our county said, you might want to try Miss Alabama. You might enjoy that. So I thought, well, it's the only way I can thank my parents for all the years of listening to me practice piano. <laughs> I was going to ask what the talent was. It wasn't yeah, baton I mean, it wasn't, twirling. It or... was not baton twirling, not that coordinated. Uh, you can ask my little sister. She, ta- she taught aerobics at one point. She was like, you probably shouldn't take this class. I'm like, I know I'm not good. Uh, so <laughs> played the piano, had a wonderful piano teacher who was the drama teacher at Mountain Brook for a long time, and she just is a saint. Um, and so that's how it all happened. And that was the, that was the moment. The Miss Alabama program was the reason why I had the opportunity to get out in public schools, in private schools, churches, civic groups, all of it, to talk about my story and life and character education. And I will be grateful for that opportunity until I get to heaven, honestly. Mm. Yeah, pageants sometimes have a, a negative connotation too. Some people, are, you know, for a lot of reasons are opposed. It, it strikes me that it was a positive experience for you, at least it seems to be. It was. Number one, I had to start reading the Wall Street Journal and USA Today, and my dad and I would sit together on Sunday afternoon and really help to shape how I thought, um, brought logic and reason into the picture taught me how to defend my views from both positive and negative. It was kind of the debate class in high school that they wanted me to take that I refused to take seriously. Um, But that that was really excellent. Um, Traveling and meeting mentors along the way. Um, My piano teacher was just an amazing, encouraging person. And it really taught me that other people are not your competition, not now, not ever. It is competing with yourself. Are you a better version of you today than you were yesterday? Are you going for your dreams or what the Lord has put on your heart? Are you faithful to that? And then are you serving in your community? Those are the things that I learned. And yes, there can be, um, you know, that, especially when I was coming along, empty-headed, silly girls, you, you foolish little things. What are you doing But the Miss America program is the largest provider of scholarships to women in the world. Mm. And so the Miss America that won, our Miss Alabama was first runner-up. I'm on the board of Miss Alabama, um, won a $45,000 scholarship. Wow. And so the girls that I work with regularly earn hundreds of thousands of dollars, and they never pay a dime for college. And we're talking girls. The list of Miss Alabamas, for example, are doctors, lawyers, dentists, Businesswomen, accountants, um, scientists, these women are unbelievable. They're sharp and they're kind. Uh, It was an amazing experience. I mean, only one or two negative things, but that's life. Yes. You know, that's just life. 
So I, I enjoyed it and even won my father over. He was not excited about it in the beginning. And I don't blame him because what do you think? My daughter wants to do a pageant. Right. Do you have these presuppositions? Are you serious? Walk around in a swimsuit on Yeah, what is that? And then we learned it was 30 seconds. Let's focus on the fact that you get to speak in front of hundreds of thousands of people. To have that opportunity, whether you're on the news or being interviewed on local media, you have an opportunity you wouldn't have otherwise. Mm-hmm. And so he got on board. Do you get total choice in your platform? And yes. did you have any pushback from anybody in your choice? I did have uh, pushback only because they loved me and wanted to make sure that that's what I really wanted to do. And was I able to defend it from all points of view? Had I thought through what that meant? You know, because part of the Part of the deal when you're adopted and you're in pro-life issues, for example, is that you will get hideous comments. Mm. You will get hateful email. When I ran for office, I know I'm skipping ahead, but when I ran for office and did a few commercials, my husband banned me from reading the comments because people have horrific things to say, but that is only because of the guilt and the shame that they feel. They don't know it. Mm-hmm. Um, or they're being conditioned to believe that that was their only way out. And fear is a liar, but fear generally drives that decision. Um, and so, yeah, I did. I did get pushed back. But when they knew that I was resolute and had done my homework, they're like, all right, go for it. Now, sort of take us through this because you did not win the first time. You didn't actually win Miss Alabama the second time. How, how did or you the persevere? third time. Oh, really? There was a third time. That was The third time was the, was the charm. Ah. Uh. So uh, my mom decided we needed to go to Miss America after Miss Alabama. Miss Alabama's every summer in June. This summer's actually in July. Um, but that third year through, the year before had been fourth runner-up. And I went in this third year, and I thought, this is it. I have to get a job when I'm done. So if this doesn't work, it doesn't work. Third, you know, so the name-calling on the stage, there's two of us left. I'm the first runner-up. I'm thinking, oh, this is so not fun. This is not the way I planned um, but right after that night, my mom said, I really think we need to go to Miss America in September. She would never bring that up. She's like, I just have this sense that we need to go to Miss America. So we go to Miss America and Heather becomes Miss America. And at that moment, I'm with the Alabama delegation and I instantly become Miss Alabama. And my new traveling companions and board members come up and list off the speaking engagements I had for the week starting on that Wednesday. And it didn't stop until the following June. Literally, some weeks we did 30 speaking engagements. Um, just That's just the strength of the program that we have and the wonderful people and the generous people in Alabama. Um, but it was wild. Now, I was going to ask you how you went from pageantry to politics, as if it's really disparate. You know, there's right. a massive difference, but you're telling me no. No, it's actually great preparation. Yes. If you're speaking 30 times in front of people and you're presenting ideas and, you're, and you realize that there's going to be opposition and, and, and blowback and, and uh, you know, all sorts of comments, you were already prepared for politics. I was very much prepared. I think as a people pleaser, I don't know about y'all, I'm a recovering people pleaser. Mm-hmm. So you learn to recognize that their opinion is theirs and yours is yours and both have a right to be heard. Um, what we don't do is we're not going to disparage one another. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when you learn that, when you learn to speak and you're talking about abstinence, but you're looking on the front row and there's a couple of pregnant teenagers you think, but for the grace of God, go I, and we will have great respect to one another for one another. I mean, those are things you speak at local high schools, even here in town. I still have <laughs> some stressful memories because they came up and just 
vicious, vicious attacks after talks. But then you go to politics and you're like, this is nothing. <laughs> I've been doing this since I was 19 years old. Um, but it was, it was great preparation to be ready for anything, um, to be ready to speak at a moment's notice and to be able to give good, solid reasons for the way that you think and you believe and, um, you know, leave the rest out there and it'll be okay. Well, with that in mind, getting your platform and, and the, the solidity of that established in your mind, how did you get into the nuts and bolts of politics, starting up a campaign, deciding to run, and gathering people around? Yeah, especially when I, I, I say this all the time, why would anybody run for anything in today's climate? Right after Miss Alabama, all those years ago, I came to work as an intern at API. Oh, wow. I did not know that history. I did. And uh, actually the old building and helped to paint the walls as part of my job. That's the Alabama Policy Institute. Alabama Policy Institute and realized through pageants that I loved public policy and thought for a while about going to law school. So there's the backstory into that and had for years people through the pageant say, you know, you really should think about running for office because you're dealing with a lot of men and women who already are in that public space. Mm. And so when it came time, I had several people call me, here again is the theme of my life, all at once. Mm. We really, the seat is coming open. We really think you might want to try to run for office. Think about it. So my grandparents are enjoying their heavenly rest. Um, but at the time, my grandmother was always politically involved. And I thought, if my grandparents are good with this, I value their opinion pretty much they're the highest. I called my grandfather and my grandmother, got them both on the phone. I said, what do you think about this? I've been approached by several people. Do you think I should do it? The kids are still little. They wrote me my first check. Oh, my. And then I called my parents, my family, my kids were always on board. Um, one of my kids' response was, if you win, are you going to fix the roads on 119? <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, it, so we did it. It was hard. Our request was that we, to God, was you show up, let us disappear. Let's learn about what the people of Shelby County want, what they need, um, and let them find that their voices can be heard because that's where really how you And tell us the office exist. you actually ran for. I ran for the House of Repres- State House, District 43. Um, Arnold Mooney is our representative. We made the runoff, and um, it was an excellent, excellent experience, uh, both for my husband and I and for our kids. Um, they enjoyed it. Our son, on the runoff day, told Chris at 3 a.m. at the time, he was very little, this is the funnest thing I've ever done. Oh, and wow. so I think, okay. Now, do you agree? We're okay. No. <laughs> I cried a lot. It was hard. It was very hard. Because what you learn is that people that are your friends will not necessarily vote for you. And there are people that you greatly respect that will tell you things that you don't want to hear. Like, you're ruining your children's life oh. by running for office. You need to stay home. What do you mean run for office? You probably should sit this one out. Um, you know what? Let someone else have your turn. It's not your turn yet. And you begin to think, what in the world am I doing? Mm. You know, Amy Beth, I remember when you were running because we had just come to Shelby County and moved from Pennsylvania. And I remember seeing you in church and, and, and had heard through different people, you know, she's running for, uh, the state house. And I was, I'm a little shy. And I'm not necessarily a, a go-getter on introducing myself, but I, I remember distinctly thinking, good for her. 
that is a go-getter move. I really like that. I mean, she's young and she's going into this and I was so impressed with that. And you, you held yourself well through all of that. I mean, I didn't follow every intricacy of, of your, of your campaign, but I, I do remember that. And, and the fact that your children were able to watch you and your husband work through that together, uh, who knows what that has created in your kids for down the road, even though you didn't win. And a lot of other people who watched you and That's how you right. held yourself and that right. sort of thing. Was it what you thought it was going to be? The campaigning and that's a good question. You know, I think a, a little bit because I'd been around some of the county meetings and things that were going on. I think the part that I didn't expect were the negative reactions to your face, mm. um, and realized that I needed to grow rhinoceros skin and just let it roll off. Uh, so that's where the Lord had the biggest work to do in my life was to divi- divest myself of what I thought other people should think into realizing I need to care what he thinks. I need my husband's support, and he is amazing. He is why I did it, um, ultimately. And then l- let the chips fall where they may. Hmm. Did you ever get accustomed to begging for money? Uh, no, I do not do that well, uh, which is why I probably will never run for office again. But Chris and I did make a little secret list. Uh, if it comes up in the future and we agreed, we will not be raising money. It is not fun to knock on doors. It is not fun to ask people for money. Um, we did a lot of self-funding precisely because we didn't want to be beholden to special interest groups. Right, right. Uh, which was hard, um, but it was the right thing for us to do. But begging for money is... To me, that would be the hardest part. And the other thing was, you know, you always are kind of waiting for somebody to say, hey, you ran a stop sign back in 1996, yes. and I saw you, and uh, I would never vote for you, or something like that. Absolutely, and people do that. I mean, I think, and especially in the culture we're living in right now, the lack of mercy mm. for anybody, for any of us, to try to find something negative and then destroy a person with that negativity is over the top. And I can't imagine running in this climate right now. Well, you just knocked out one whole page of questions I had for you because I I was going to ask if you would consider running for something else and at at some point. You know, I don't know. I think it's always out there right now. I don't know that it is the right time because I prayed so long for the opportunities that are here that really seem to appear in the fall that I want to follow where the Lord is leading right now. But if opportunities came available, you know, in a couple of years, possibly. The beauty of what you're doing now, which we'll get to, is that it is still part of honing your skills, yes. developing your character and your outlook on life and, and everything else. So tell us what you're doing now, and it has to do with podcasting. And this studio and right here. This studio right here. So I write. I'm happy to be a part of the team at 1819. I write opinions uh, on the Wednesday um, opinion writer. I love what you write, Amy Beth. Hey, that I means really a do. lot coming from you. I mean, really. Good grief. You're like a legend. Uh, I'm uh, sitting with like two amazing writers right here. So, you know. Uh, and then we podcast on Wednesdays and it goes live on Thursdays um, called Alabama Unfiltered with Scott Beeson and Allison Sinclair, who started local. Another mover and shaker Mm -hmm. in Shelby County that just got it started based off of the mask controversies. So we have a great time and really are building something that we think uh, could be something special. 
Yeah, well, you've got uh, big old Scott Beeson on board, so I mean, how can great. it not be fun? He is great. And that, I also do some work with the concerned doctors um, as a result of just misinformation, panic, fear, you name it. Um, there's none of that going on. No, there's zero. <laughs> like, what, what's everybody excited about? So I do work with them, and um, Jace Carnes kind of put that together with Jordan Vaughn and many other amazing Asim physicians, both in Alabama and really across the country. And so, again, all at once, <laughs> it seemed to happen, but I know I'm right where I need to be. Yes. When you first started writing for 1819 News, one of the first things you did was just explain where you've been. And in that, you were talking about your kids. So tell us about your kids, because I know you're proud of them. I don't, sorry. Uh, it was just the day. <laughs> sorry about that. They are, they are great. We all think our kids are great, don't we? Um, I have. But some people know it. <laughs> <laughs> so our oldest is Emmy, and she is 22. And so she's the first one that I got to look at. And I was like, wow, we look like each other. Because as an adopted child, you don't look like anybody. Although everybody always thought I looked like my dad. And I'm like, well, actually, you don't. Um, <laughs> but that's okay. That's okay. Uh, so Emmy is 22. She is married and in graduate school for clinical counseling. And the column that I actually wrote yesterday was in part based off of um, several of my kids experience, but mine as well. And so she is taking the things that she's walked through and is going to put those to good use. Uh, our daughter, Wesley Kate is at West Virginia university, wildlife biology, but also this is great writers in the room. Um, she is in the print on demand space and has a podcast in that area. So she has a book on Amazon right now about how to make money through Redbubble. Um, she's number 23 on Amazon UK wow. hot seller list. <laughs> she called for week. her. I was like, Wesley. So she's really trying to figure out how do we do biology and how do I do graphic design and writing at the same time? Um, just, you know, very nice combo there. Really? That's really. Creative like, area. Right? And so I'm like, can you please, when you get your internship this summer, she was in Oregon last summer, could you get it like closer to home? Yeah. Because uh, Emmy already traveled and did all that. Um, Emmy was a model for two years and worked in New York and in, in um, actually went to Australia for a while and then Italy. So we're glad she's home and married and like I can get to her. Um, and then yeah, she got out of Australia. At a good she time. got out. She got out of Australia before it went crazy. Uh, and then William Will is a redshirt freshman, plays basketball at the University of North Carolina. Go Hills. Um, dropped him off a few weeks ago, and finished his high school in uh, from the summer until December fifteenth. Great fun, let me tell you. Um, but we moved him in, and he's so glad to be there. And really, I'm just quite thankful I can see him. Um, when they play and then he'll start with his class in June but they invited him to come early and wanted to get his hands on him and work out with him and he's thrilled to be there I love the staff it's a very humbling experience um, and then Molly is 15 full of life and energy and could run our house Babies usually can do that, can't yes, they? Yes, they can. The fourth um, one. I mean, so we are, our calendar with that one is packed. I just take it day by day because we're doing something different. I cannot wait until she drives. I need her to drive. That's quite a statement coming from Help me find yes. the mother of the baby about to leave. <laughs> I'm like, <the> drive. <laughs> Some days I'm like, do you want to, you want to drive? Like, I know you don't have your permit yet, but do you want to drive? That'd be illegal. So I'm not going to do it. In case you ever want to run for office, that would come up. Right? They would follow me. And they'd find me. <laughs> and that'd be the thing. They think that'd be the thing. Well, this the is an obvious loaded question, but the power of the media 
you've got to be impressed with the possibilities of any, everything from podcasts to writing or, or whatever. It's, it's amazing to me what we can, that we can get positive ideas out there in front of people. It is a humbling and stunning idea all at once. Mm. First of all, that anybody would read what God put on your heart to do. Like, how many books do you have out? Thirty. Well, 38th gets published shortly. I mean, can you even imagine? No. And that everybody hears your voice, knows your voice, and when you joined on, everybody I've knew written, Andrea. I've written more books than I've read. So. See, I mean, it, it's like that. And so you come to our houses, and you probably see stacks and stacks of books. Like, that's the hobby. Right. That's the cutoff point of no more books a million, no more barns, like no more <laughs> until I've read this stack. And I'm like, well, but that one looks really good. Um, so it is stunning that we can sit in here and this can go worldwide. It is stunning. And so it is also um, makes you want to be careful. But then at the same time, we can't, you know, especially in our culture in this day and age, to speak truth is the most important opportunity we have is to get truth in front of people is to tell good stories to people because those are arts that will never we cannot lose the art of storytelling we cannot lose the art of communication absolutely it is critical that we take this genre as far as we can whatever our specialty is and use it because this is a great time to be in communications. Yep, it is. And that's the challenge, too, is to present that truth in a way that's entertaining and that yes. people will act. Everybody's busy. Uh, but thankfully, through podcasts and a lot of other ways, it's not just the radio or the television or the newspaper. That's right. Uh, the newspapers are almost gone, and they will be gone before too much longer. And thankfully, if you, if you continue to introduce some key elements of transparency, right, mm -hmm. and being human, I mean, that never gets old. Never. Uh, until we, we get into the transhumanism that we talked about <laughs> earlier, and we no longer want to... deep for today. Yeah, but we won't go there. Until then, just being human and being real uh, is, is never going to go out of style. How, whatever medium or platform it's presented on, people can hear through it and hear the, the, the sincerity behind it. On, on the other hand, this is another loaded question. Uh, if you look at social media, does it sometimes frustrate you that so many people are willing to step up and make absolutely goofy statements with no thought, no backup, no evidence, whatever. Everybody seems to have a voice nowadays. Everybody does have a voice, and I think that can be overwhelming. Who do you listen to? I think that is makes it even more important to know what is truth, who is truth, mm -hmm. how, how do we, like, how do we do this? Um, yes, I've had to take several social media holidays because the frustration that I would that would build up in me because people will say crazy things, um, it's what is it easier? What is, is it Churchill that said it's easier to get people to believe a lie before the truth has gotten her pants on? You know, I mean, it's like I totally did not get that statement right, but you get the point. We get the gist. Um, so yes, I've I've had to take personal holidays because it would ruin my day. And I'm like, I cannot let that control me. Um, but it is. It's really hard. And so then what? there's the challenge. How do you make sure that your voice is among the voice that people listen to? And I think that's being authentic and honest and continuing to speak truth every single time you step up to the mic or get behind the computer mm -hmm. or stand before an audience, tell the truth. And that is what resonates in people's heart. 
And to me, I have to keep reminding myself that a lot of people have died to allow you or anybody else to have absolutely goofy opinions and to state those goofy opinions. That's right. But I also have the right to not listen to what you're saying (laughs) or or argue with you in a a nice way. If it really peaks out on the goofy meter, (laughs) (laughs) we can bail. Exactly. That's right. right. What do you hope for? What do you you think about, we're depicted as a divisive and divided society and in politics, as we say on this particular podcast, we're, we're trying to give you respite from politics, from pandemics and all the negative things and negative people with negative thoughts. Uh, do you have hope for the world? So we travel a lot, uh, just where our kids are uh, with my husband's work. And people are united and friendly and the picture in the media is very different than the reality that we see in airports and in cities around the country. Uh, and so I do have hope. I think part of it will involve us not listening to the narrative and deciding that, you know what, we've had enough of the fear constantly for the last couple of years. Uh, but also for me, I have hope because I think I want to learn to be a happy warrior for truth yes. and merely understand, as one of my favorite um, speakers says often, I just want to put a stone in the shoe of someone's thinking. Mm. I don't have to win them over to my point of view. I just want them to stop and think. And then from there to realize that you're not a victim, you are not helpless, life is what you choose and that's, that's where I gain hope is seeing people. People are awesome. We may be very different, but, you know, even just looking around at sports and all those sports we're involved with, parents are friendly. The kids are friendly. Like, I want to tell the media, get out. Look at how people are living. We're okay. That's right. We're okay. Um, but on my end, in the communications world, that's what I want to do, and that's where I feel hopeful is if we can just get people to stop and think, I think, you know, well, go that, a long that's way. the tough part because, first of all, it's all about ratings and subscribers. It is. And if it bleeds, it leads. Certainly true when it comes to 24 hour cable news cycle or whatever. And you've got some very big companies that are just trying to get people to watch what they do 24 hours a day, seven days a week, which is tough. Um, and it's concentrated so much around Washington and New York and Los Angeles. I, I saw a great magazine cover one time. It just the map of the United States, New York, a little tiny sliver in Los Angeles was <laughs> the entire country. And, and when most of our media is concentrated in those areas, I agree with you. I don't think a lot of the people that are putting together the, what we call mm-hmm. the news are uh, out there among those of us who were living the news. No. Or do they have the best intentions right. for our, our future and our well-being? And they don't they, care necessarily. It's uh, get ratings. That's and right. And they're tapping into the lowest common denominator, which is fear and panic. Mm-hmm. And they're exploiting us. And where, you know, with 1819 News and Unfiltered and This Alabama Life, we want to raise up the bar to another level, which is... Not ignore problems and not ignore right. issues, but right. at the same time, don't look for tragedy in everything that you put on the... The that, screen. That's right. And glean the positive that's that's way out there. I'm mean, like you said, Amy Beth, I mean, I reminded myself I have to remind myself being in the news a lot, you know, that for every bad story I'm writing, there are ten thousand 
stories around that person who are doing the right thing. That's right. They got up in the morning. They took care of their kids. They loved their kids. They loved their husband, their wife. They got on the roads. They followed the laws. They got to work and they did a hard day's work. And they came home and did it all over again. While we're focused on this one, you know, terrible story, tragedy for sure. And you don't want to act like it doesn't happen. Right. But you just got to remember to balance it and show that kind of the incredible disproportionate balance that sometimes we weigh on the negative side that we it's not really there. Right. That's right. That's why I'm here. (laughs) Now, tell me you're going to run for something again, please. I'm so desperate to vote for for somebody instead of against somebody. Wow. I'll write you a check for 20 bucks right now. (laughs) Thank you for that. Uh, It is is a constant consideration. I I will tell you that. We, Chris and I talk about it at least once a week, you know. And keep doing the other things you're doing. What what all are you? You've mentioned some of the things that you're doing, and you obviously, and we all see value in that, tremendous value in that. So be sure to keep doing that too. I will. Yeah. I absolutely will. I think it's one of those. You know, you're you're thankful to be a part of what you're doing. Um, you know, because w- for example, with recruiting with Will, it was so hard. It was like a full time job just to get him where he had to go. Uh, and then take care of the other kids and visit them. Because when you tell the kids, go fly, go follow whatever God puts on your heart, we're not going to hold you back. That's wrong if we did that. You still got to be there for that part of the journey, mm-hmm. right? And so now I think, okay, if that's what you want, that's what I'll do. Um, so if it keeps coming up, and it really does, and I'm humbled that anybody would ever want me to like run for office, but I would. Um, but the older version of me is not afraid the younger version of me was, and uh, watch out. So we'll see. But, you know, I think for sure right now the Lord has me where I'm supposed to be. And one advantage I can see already with you doing the podcast and continuing to write for 1819 is to get your your name, your character and reputation out there, more name recognition. Hopefully down the road will make it easier where you're not begging for money. That's right. Where someone writes a nice big check and says, Amy Beth... I trust you. I know your your heart. I'm going to free you up. Mm. So you're not you're not you're not into that arena, which is very. It feels very grimy, doesn't it? Um, I mean, <laughs> it's for just money. wow. We would go to these events, and I think, Ooh, can we like go get some cheesecake or something? <laughs> get out of here. <laughs> Wouldn't it be nice go <laughs> just to do a church thing where you hold up an offering? You don't have to account for anybody. Right. Just, then please. No strings attached. I mean, there you go. <laughs> There's got to be a better way, you guys. I mean, can you imagine if we just took money out of it and voted for the right person? How the the pool of people who'd run, that, like running for office, getting down to Montgomery, getting to D.C., where, wherever your state capital is, it cannot be the best job you've ever had. And for so many people, it is, and they've made so much money off the back of American people, and that's yeah. And you you know we much. we all have our opinions about term limits and things like yes. that. And I, I I'm I used to be opposed to them because I felt like that took the vote away from me if I couldn't vote for somebody who was really doing a good job. And then the more I think about it. When I see people leave uh, the Senate, for example, multimillionaires, and they yes. had nothing going in, what's going on here? Yeah. I agree with you. I'm completely for term limits. Um, I agree with you. Because, you know, you do think, and, and there is logic behind, well, you know, it takes a couple years to get things going and to get on the important committees. But if you enacted term limits for everyone, right. then everyone the is in this field. level playing field, and you get after the <clears> issues <throat> immediately instead of, well... We'll leave that for next year because right. that will give me something to do. While right. the rest of us out here ha- 
are on deadline. We have to finish what we started. And you're like having a, a picnic and a good life and making a million dollars a month. And, you know, and you think that we can't see through that. It's got to be a better way to do this. But until then. Yeah, your first day in office, you're running for the next term. You are. Absolutely. And unfortunately, right. they, they almost weaponize issues. I'm like, well, I won't cover this until I'm on the other side yes. of the election and I'm back in and I'm secured a position. So deceptive. Yes. Well, I'm glad we've solved all these problems. We have. I mean, why not? In like 45 minutes, we've done it. <laughs> Amazingly. Amy Beth Shaver. Amy, your story is absolutely amazing and I appreciate you sharing it with us today. Thank you for letting me come on. It's been a pleasure. And that's, that's what this podcast is all about. Uh, this Alabama Life is about positive stories. And when we talk about stories, we're talking about uh, seemingly average people who are in unusual situations and do remarkable things. And that's pretty much the theme of this podcast. We appreciate you watching and listening. Uh, we also encourage you to tell other people about us. Word of mouth is a great way to, to spread word about a positive storytelling podcast like the one we're trying to run here. You can get uh, This Alabama Life on iTunes, on Spotify, practically any place you get podcasts. The video version is uh, on YouTube or also through the 1819news.com website. That's 1819news.com. 1819 happens to be the year our state was formed. Andrea Tice, great to be with you again. We hope you'll join us next time for This Alabama Life. Mm -hmm.